This is Acts chapter 4, verse 20. And it says, For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Let's pray. Father, this morning we ask as your people that we would hear the words that you say to us, that we would uh, take to heart the uh, way that you have presented the gospel to us and that we are so connected to everybody else around us and we would be able to go out and show who you are by how we live. Amen. Have a seat. All right. I know you all feel like you're in the third grade, right? You've got a pen and a piece of paper, and you're like, I'm, I'm ready to go. Uh, we are going through the Gospel of John. We'll be potentially in that Gospel of John until Jesus comes back. Seems like it's going to be a while. Okay. Uh, what I want you to do is something very simple and very practical this morning with this. Uh, I want you to take and I want you to draw a circle like this in the middle of it. Don't take up the whole paper because you're going to have to write a lot more stuff. You know, hey, they're from the dollar store. What do you expect? If your pen doesn't work, eat it on your tongue and then stick it back in. Okay? And then in that, put your name. See, that's my name, but you can put yours. Okay? Put your name in there. And then around that, orbiting that, I want you to write up some relationships that you are involved in, some communities that you're a part of. These could be sports team, job, email list, hobby group, club, uh, friends, home, family. You can kind of cluster those relationships together. This is what I got. These are kind of... My things. I actually came up with about 25, but I had to do it. I guess. And then what I want you to do is as soon as you get those up like that, I want you to draw lines how those things are connected to each other. You'll have plenty of time. I'm going to do like two seconds, okay? And then after you connect those things, I want you to put some names next to those of people who are involved in those groups. So it'll kind of look like this when you're done. It doesn't have to look just like that. So you just take, you know, just take uh, the groups you're involved in around yourself, how they connect, and then write some names next to them. I'll give you a couple minutes. This, there will not be a test. Because so I probably couldn't read your writing anyway. This is what is called your relational universe, okay? People that you're connected to. Uh, anybody on your list have more than five clusters? More than five? More than ten? Fifteen? Pointing? Yay! That's great. This is, this is one of the ways an, an actual larger church, of, you know, a couple hundred or even a couple thousand, comes down and becomes a family of smaller little groups. What I want you to see today, and don't put that away because you're going to keep that all morning, is that we live in a relational universe. We are connected to other people. In John, uh, this week, I'm going to overlay concepts of what's called information theory or communication theory about how people connect and how people learn things and eventually how the gospel goes forward in the world in which we live. Um, we look at John chapter 1. I'm going to show you how this comes into reality just from John chapter 1. But the scripture that we look at, the, the Bible, it is typically either one of two things. It's either descriptive, meaning it tells us a story of some sort. Now, how you see God was involved in people's lives, now people interacted with God, how they responded, whether that is positive or, or negative. Uh, Mary, Mary responds to God very positively. She says, oh, you know, blessed I can do this thing. And whereas Judas says, I'm going to betray, betray Jesus, make a few bucks, and that was pretty negative. The other one is prescriptive. Oh, it's already up there. Prescriptive, and it tells us what we should or should not do, such as, you know, love your neighbor, don't steal, don't make a boy band or country music, things <laughs> like that. So today, it's not going to tell us what to do or, or not to do, but we're going to, it's going to talk about how God works and how God works through our connections. So I'm going to give you a lot of information today 
Just go with me and, and we'll get this. Uh, there are... Wow. It's like we live in an old freaky house with ghosts. People connect in, in three different categories. The first one is called acquaintances. Okay, Acquaintances. These are people that you know sort of secondhand. So-and-so knows somebody. You're not close to them, but you kind of know who they are. The second one is family. Now, these are connected to uh, marriage or blood. Maybe you're not close to, maybe you're very close to, but it really doesn't matter because you're stuck with them. And then the third group is friends. Those who you care deeply about, who you commit yourself to and your life to and you journey through life together with them, you invest yourself into these people. And so the clusters that you wrote down on the papers usually connect to one of these acquaintances, family, or friends. It's one of those. In 1976, there was a study done called Getting a Job, and they found that most people get a job through an acquaintance, somebody that you kind of know. I mean, how did you get your last job? Did you get it through somebody you knew? I think I came up with one job I've ever had in my life that I just got by applying and going to an interview and getting the job. Usually it was somebody who knew somebody, and then I got the job because I kind of knew somebody who knew somebody. Anybody here gotten a cold in the last year? How'd you get it? <laughs> J. Dean's like, <laughs> if you're at work, right? Maybe you got a coworker walk by and they're, ah, and you're like, ah, oh, and then three days later you're hacking and everybody in the whole office is like a hacking choir. It's all together and you're making noise and it's not very beautiful music. But it's what happens. It's like a virus spreads by contact. It touches other people. It morphs and it spreads and it hits even more people. People to people to people. Communication theory. It says that that is what happens to ideas. Just like that. Some people know things and they go out and tell other people. They give it to other people. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell writes a book called The Tipping Point. And he says information doesn't just get disseminated in our culture by advertising and news. It gets disseminated by word of mouth. A friend brings you an idea and they convince you of this idea. And then you go tell people about that idea. An average TV sitcom is half an hour, uh, 22 minutes if you decide to download it or torrent it. What's the rest? Commercials. Commercials. So you have every half hour of TV, you have eight minutes of commercials, eight minutes of someone bombarding you trying to sell you something. The average person in the average day is hit with 250 advertisements. But begone, thigh master. You see these on like billboards and the radio and the internet. The more tech savvy you are, the more you are bombarded with those. The tech savvy person is bombarded with over a thousand advertisements in a given day. In a given day. And so what we begin to do is we begin to filter those things that we think are important. Information, as is said to now in our culture, double every two years. Every two years. I mean, we put this in perspective for you. If you were to take all the information in the world from, say, Adam and Eve to 1998, and it formed a bubble that was about this big, okay? And then you took all the information from 1998 to 2005, that would be the same. The information has doubled in just those seven years. And now they say it's beginning to double every two years. They say by the year 2050, information in our world will double every two weeks. Every two weeks. And so we look at this, and we have to find a way to filter what we think is important. And we do that by word of mouth, through our connections, through our friends and our acquaintances and our family. Then tipping point, he says this, ideas are like viruses. A few people catch it, then it spreads to infect mass culture, where it tips from being a marginal concept to a majority concept. So Gladwell says there are three types of people in regard to transmitting information. Okay? The first one are called connectors. That's so why I put it out there so you guys will get it and you're like, oh, and so you'll have it in front of you. These are people who know everybody. 
Okay, do you have friends like that? Anybody knows like every, everywhere you go, it's like, oh, I know that. Ah, holy cow. I, you need to go to the pet store, the food store, the hardware store, the re- middle of the desert. It's like, oh, hey, I know you. How you doing? And it's like, you know somebody like that? Yeah. In first service, he said it was me. Yeah, and Britt, yeah, it's like knows everybody. It's like, if you don't know, if they don't know someone, they kind of know of that person or know somebody that knows them. They're involved in multiple communities. Connectors bring people together. Anybody have a group of friends that are just like bizarre group? It's like, how do these people even get together? Anybody got a group of friends like that? Yeah. Who, who brings those people together? A connector. Calls y'all up, emails you, hey, let's all get together, let's do this thing, and everybody comes, connectors. The second uh, people in this group are called mavens. Mavens is actually a Yiddish word for someone who knows a lot. They read, they get a lot of information, they remember details. If you don't know something, you don't really want to go and learn it yourself, you call a maven. I blow some circuit or something in the back of my house, I call John Warren. And I say, I blew something up, what do I do? And John says, don't touch it, I'll come over and help you. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm touching it and, you know, that kind of thing. And he comes over and helps me. If you're sick, who do you call? I, I call Pam Brown. I go, hey, I'm sick. You know, I need some IVs. Help me. You know, and she comes and she helps me out. She talks to me. You know, that, that's a maven. She has information that I do not have. The last group are called salesmen. In the church, we call them evangelists. They can sell you anything. And I, I would say that, you know, we probably call salesmen liars. Uh, evangelists are probably people who aren't lying but giving you some good truth. We all actually learn how to be salesmen from the time we're little kids. Uh, it's like uh, your mom, you want to go out and play, and you go, can I go out and play? And your mom says, is your room clean? And you say, it should be. <laughs> ah, see? And they're like, you didn't say it wasn't. You just, we become salesmen. Okay, but in, in a good way with no sin involved, uh, it's an evangelist. So John the disciple, the guy who writes the book of John, he is all three of these. He writes this gospel, yet he knows all the churches. He is the last living disciple, and so he is a connector. He has information that nobody else has. He has lived with Jesus, seen Jesus firsthand, so he is a maven. And then he is also an evangelist. John chapter 20, verse 31 says this, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He is trying to convince us of something. He is an evangelist. These three type of people take the information and then they spread this information through networks. Okay? Connecting, transmitting into networks. Hit enter and we'll... Networking. There we go. I told him I would help him out with this because there's like so much stuff in the slides. He's like, oh my goodness, I hate you. So John starts with this message. He starts, Jesus is God, come in the flesh to rescue and save mankind. That's the message. In the networks, there are these people called innovators. Innovators are also called first adopters. They take something that's new and they're like, they grab one of them and they run with that. In the Gospel of John, if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, who is the innovator? John the Baptist. John, the, exactly. John the Baptist sees Jesus. He said, that's the Lamb of God, takes away the sin of the world. He's the first guy that gets it. And then all of a sudden from there, it goes to a couple other people. And those other people are called early adopters. And then, oh, I guess we're, okay. And then from there, that's the first people who first believe. And then after that, it goes to the early majority as the movement grows. Okay, and then it goes to a late majority, which is after a few years, people who are skeptical get more information and then they believe. And the last group, I love this, they are called the laggers. The laggers, those people who will never believe. So I'll give you an example. It kind of works like this. Um, who here doesn't have a cell phone? See? You're a lagger. That's how it works. This, this is how, unless you're under 12, okay, then you're not a lagger. Okay. A guy at one time says... Um, if I'm away from a land-based line, people need to get a hold of me. Somehow it needs to happen. So they go, 
What do I do with that? So they come with the first cell phone. It kind of looks like this. Blink. There you go. Kind of looks like that. Okay, the first cell phone. He's the innovator. So he becomes a salesman. Start trying to tell his friends, you need this too, this, this, this cell phone. So you, know, you have these early adopters that come in and they take it and they get a cell phone that kind of looks like this. And so other people are like, oh yeah, I got it. Then, then you got the early majority and they get cell phones that kind of look like this. And then in the end, you get the late majority who get iPhones because of all the competition and business that goes on in the world. And it's a beautiful thing. Can you hear me now? There we are. That's how it works, okay? Information systems and, and how they come together. Now, and then, but there are always a few people who will just never get a cell phone, and we call them sinners. No. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Some people don't even have a phone at their house because they refuse to adapt to change. And you see, in Christianity, what you will see is you will see the changes in Christianity. John gets it. A few people get it. The crowds get it. It sweeps an empire, and yet some people still refuse to believe. So if you have your Bible open to John chapter 1, starting in verse 35, I still kind of think God works this way, so we're going to go through it. You're going to be like, wow, you're going to be so much smarter when you leave here this morning when you walked in. 135 starts like this. The next day, John, that's John the baptizer, was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Okay, so there's the innovator. That's Jesus. He's God. He gets it, and he points to Jesus. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Okay, So there you have those early adopters. you got the innovator, early adopters. And what happens is one of these guys that follows Jesus, his name is Andrew. The other one doesn't name himself. I kind of think that's probably John, because you see later that Jesus actually does call John. So John the Baptist points to it, points him out. John and Andrew see it, and they go with it. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? And this is interesting because these are the first words that Jesus has said in John's gospel. In the Greek, it actually will translate as, what are you seeking? What do you want? Why are you following me? Which is a great question for all of us to ask. You know, if we say we're going to follow Jesus, why are we following? Why are we seeking him? What are we doing with that? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He says, what do you want? And they answer, friendship discipleship. This is a way that says we want to come and learn from you. We want to hang out with you. Jesus, I think it's interesting, he does not say, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise, here's the Old Testament, figure it out, this is me. He just says, what do you want? What do you want? The very last words in John's gospel, Jesus is talking to Peter. And he looks at Peter and he says, what is that to you? It's almost the same words. What do you want? Starts with it, ends with it. I think it's, a, it's really interesting. Very small things become very large things. They want to follow. Everything gets started there. And I think John may be writing this and going, how did this whole thing get started? And he's like, oh yeah, I invited myself over for dinner. That's how this whole thing started, how it began. John didn't even at this point know a fraction of what we know because we have scripture. But why did, why did John leave John the baptizer to follow Jesus? Word of mouth. He was told. John tells John and disseminates information. So a teacher informs a new relationship. On your clusters that you drew, how many had a teacher that introduced you to a new relationship? How many people had a teacher that introduced you to Jesus? There you go, a couple people. That's how it works. Um, Verse 39. Come, this is Jesus' second thing that he says, come and you will see. He doesn't tell them everything, he just invites them. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the 10th hour. That means 4 p.m. So at this moment, how big is Jesus' movement? Two guys. 
Two guys. And he stole them from John the Baptist. Okay? That's how big it is. Later, you begin to see that Andrew, he is this gatherer. He starts talking to all these people, brings all these people to Jesus. And we are here today because those two guys started that way. Plus, Jesus and the Holy Spirit, obviously. But you see what I mean. Verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. So Peter's a fisherman, he probably works with John. How does Peter meet Jesus? His brother. Word of mouth. We found Jesus. Why don't you come and see this? You got it. You, I can just see the conversation. Peter, we found God. Right. Okay, got it. That's good. No, no, no. John thinks so too. Oh, well, if John thinks so, I guess I'll go check it out. And he goes and he checks it out. Anyone first hear about God from somebody that you worked with? Anybody first hear about God from a family member? See? That's how it works. Connections. John and Andrew are acquaintances through Peter and John the Baptist. You've got family. You've got business. And how did Peter come to lead the early church, plant churches, die upside down on a cross for the sake of the gospel? Relationships. Relationships. It says, Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is, translated is Peter. The first thing Jesus does is, is give Peter a nickname, which I think is great because I talked about this three weeks ago about how we give people we really love nicknames. And Jesus looks at Peter and gives him like this WWE you know, nickname. He's like, you're called the Rock. You know, whatever that. <laughs> you guys are a tough crowd. He meets them, calls them, follow me. Uh, verse 43. The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Usually students would go to teachers, petition teachers. Let me be your disciple, your talent, and let me be that person. And the teachers, when they said, okay, they would say, follow me. It's interesting here that Jesus actually calls Philip. He goes to Philip and he says, follow me. Anyone have that experience? Like, you knew all these things about God, people talked about it, but one day it just clicked. Jesus just called you. And there you go. Sometimes. I'll tell you, it doesn't matter as long as you get to Jesus. That's the point. So Philip and Andrew, they are from Bethsaida, from the same town. Do you think they know each other? Probably. Towns are very small at this point. I mean, this is hometowns. I, I was born in Santa Maria. My wife and I got married, went to Iowa and Arizona and back here. Don't do that, okay? You may think Santa Maria is not. Santa Maria is great. If you go to Iowa, you, you'll know. Anyway, so I'm in the bank like six months ago, and the teller looks at me, and she goes, you're on the missing persons list. And that's not good to hear when you're in the bank, right? You're like, ah, it's like got an FBI list, my name on it. She goes, no, it's class reunion. And I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. Small town. Everybody kind of knows everybody else. It's kind of weird. I mean, anybody here from a different state or town, and when you hear things about your hometown, your ears kind of perk up, and you're like, oh, what's going on? There you go. See? These are all connections. So Philip shows up, and Philip's like, oh, I know you and you and you. It's connections. These connections bring them together. It's through acquaintances he inv- he's invited to hang out. And by the way, you get to meet God today. Not your average day. It's wonderful. Verse 44. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathaniel. So Philip goes out and gets one of his buddies. He's a connector. He knows people. Philip is like the info guy. has more information for his friends. And so Philip found Nathaniel and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. That's from Deuteronomy 18. And about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So we've been studying the scriptures. And we found the guy. This is him. Verse 46. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. He's like, not there. Everybody marries their first cousin in Nazareth. They all like Jerry Springer and they think wrestling's real. They think auto racing's a sport. 
It's like, not far apart. The towns aren't that far apart, but they're parallel universes. It's kind of like, you know, what's the difference between Northwest Santa Maria and Orchid? Ten minutes, but they're different worlds altogether. Los Alamos and San Ynez. You know, 15, 20 minutes, different worlds. Santa Maria and Gary, not much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's whatever. So he goes, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? I mean, they don't have all their teeth and they don't care. It's like, blessed are y'all. Come and see, said Philip. He's not going to argue. He's like, just come. Verse 47, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. So Nathanael, at this point, Jesus saying this, it means that Nathanael's actually a Bible student. He's probably hoping a rabbi would take him on someday. And so he meets Jesus and Jesus, oh, Nathanael, nice to meet you. How you doing? You know, he just does the little thing. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. In ancient rabbis, they used this saying for studying scripture, sitting under the tree or sitting under the fig tree was a euphemism for studying scripture. He says, you're the guy who was under the tree studying scripture. How does Jesus know that? Because he's God. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. You're God. Great response. Great response. Now, I personally would really like to think that as Nathaniel's sitting under the tree and he's studying scripture, that he's reading the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. And there's this place where Jacob, one of the patriarchs of, of, the, of the faith, uh, he's running for his life. And he falls asleep one day. And as, as he falls asleep while he's running for his life, he has this dream. And there is a ladder. And this ladder connects heaven to earth. And there are angels ascending and descending on this ladder, showing that heaven and earth are connected, that God is involved in the affairs of men. And he wakes up and he says, God was in this place and I didn't know it. It's poetic. I think that's the portion he was reading because of what Jesus says next. In verse 50, Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you, and the you there is plural. It's not just Nathaniel. It's everybody. I tell you the truth, which is a constant refrain by Jesus. He reiterates that he does not lie. Um, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Just like Jacob's ladder, showing that how you have access to the Father is through Jesus. Jesus says, you will see greater things than me simply knowing what you're reading underneath the tree. You will experience what Jacob experienced, God coming down to be with his people. The ladder God comes down on is me. I am the way people come to God. That is what Jesus is saying. Some religions teach that men can become gods or you're a god and you just forgot, which is kind of convenient. Christianity never teaches that, and it should never teach that. We teach that God comes down as a man, which is completely different, as a mediator between these two worlds, the fulfillment of Jacob's ladder is Jesus. Is Jesus. And that's the end of John chapter 1. Now, this is, this is how our story comes to be through these networks and connections. John the Baptist, complete nut, comes out of the woods screaming and yelling, eating bugs and, and sugar, saying his cousin's God. You know, small towns, sometimes people go a bit nuts, like a radiation hot zone. You don't know what's going on. But for John, it's a reality. This is a reality. He gets well connected by those who believe and they repent. So Jesus shows up and starts a ministry with two of John's disciples. Then to Philip and Nathaniel and Peter, who becomes very important later in the church. And whole lives are changed and the whole world becomes changed because they had dinner with Jesus. And if you see this, if you understand this, the world can become much smaller. Much smaller. We are all relationally connected. 
If you trace back how you heard about Jesus, you can go to that person, the person before them, person, before, and eventually it would all go to the feet of John the Baptist. Somehow it would trace itself back there, all back to this guy. That is information theory. It all goes back there. The information we have is the truth about Jesus. God has reconciled the world to him. And so how do we get that message to the entire world? The world's a big place, right? Not really. Not really. Jesus started with a small group of friends. Disciples are trained to be like him. And from there it's become airborne like a virus in a good way. And it ends up over the entire earth. You guys ever heard of that game Six Degrees to Kevin Bacon? Yeah? Okay. This is this idea that everybody is connected to everybody else on the planet within six degrees of relationship. You can connect yourself in six degrees somehow to Kevin Bacon. This is from a psychologist in the 1960s. His name was Michael Garovich, and it went to a guy named Manfred Cochin and a guy named Stanley Milgram. And they came up with this theory of six degrees of separation, like that, that everyone on the planet, everybody, can be connected to somebody else within six degrees of relationships. We view the world as too big, yet you are six relationships from anybody. You guys ever heard of Paul Revere? British are coming, that guy? Okay. Paul Revere, he gets people together to form a militia. There are many people in many rides that night. How come we only hear about Paul Revere? Because Paul Revere was a connector. And at Tiffany Point, it says that there were seven groups that wanted revolution. Paul Revere is part of five of those groups. So when he goes into a town, he would know who to talk to, and this guy would tell that guy, and it got disseminated. How information gets done. And we remember Paul Revere. Six degrees, maybe you guys, to the Russian prime minister. Six degrees to some starving kid in Africa. Six degrees to Osama bin Laden. I wouldn't it be amazing if one day he becomes a believer and he goes, oops, my bad, Jesus is God, sorry for all the trouble. You know, that'd be amazing, right? I'm not holding my breath, but you know, whatever. I get this harebrained idea. I, you know, I want to get some clean dry, drinking water to Africa. I know this guy. He, he knows how to make things. And he knows a guy who drills wells, who knows a guy who has connections in Africa. It's amazing. And now I am, I'm just like one step away. I know another guy now who has a ministry, and his ministry just started doing clean drinking water. I'm just like, wow, it's amazing. Uh, Mark Driscoll tells a story about one of his friends who had forever wanted to plant a church in Cuba. And most Americans don't actually get to go to Cuba. So this guy, uh, he runs a cigar bar in, in NASA in the Bahamas. And a lot of money laundering go through the, these little islands in the Bahamas. And so he, but he's a licensed pastor. And so he connects to all these people, and he gets in these conversations, and eventually sometimes people go, oh, so you know, why are you here? Well, you know, God sent me here. Well, who? So he tells them about Jesus and stuff, and he, so he connects to a lot of people. So finally one day he's talking to this couple, and they say, wow, so you're a pastor? And he said, he said yeah, and you run a cigar bar. Yeah, you know, well, that, that's cool. We have some friends getting married. You want to do the ceremony? And he goes, well, how about I meet him first? So they come over and he meets them. He likes them. You know, they like him. And so he said, yes, I'll, I'll come do the wedding. He gets directions. He shows up. It's this castle on this terrace overlooking the ocean. And there's water. Looking for the water. And there's caviar. And there's bling and money just flying everywhere. People in new cars, they drive up, get out, take the keys. And they give them to the couple and say, here's your wedding present. Must be nice. It would be great. No one did that at my wedding, but that's Okay. So as, as he's looking around, and he sees all the people, and he realizes it's a mafia wedding. And he's like, oh, great. So he does the ceremony. You know, he, he, he gets done. And the head of the mafia family walks up to him. And he's all, you did a very good job. <laughs> so I really appreciate you taking care of my kids. You know? And he's all, uh, thanks. 
He's all, any favor you want, I will do. And he goes, oh, that's great, thanks. And he's all, no, 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 any favor you want, I'll do. He's all, you know Fidel Castro? He's all, I know Fidel. You want to meet Fidel? He's all, well, I'd really like to, I want to plant churches in Cuba. Oh, so you want to meet Fidel? He's all, I really just want to plant churches. And he goes, well, that's going to take a lot of money. And he's all, yeah, it does take a lot of money. He's all, I think I can help. Okay? He's like, sweet Jesus, I planted a church in Cuba through Fidel Castro with mafia money from running a cigar bar. That's amazing. <laughs> so this guy, his name's Clint. Uh, he gets hooked up uh, with this guy. He goes to a state dinner in Cuba and ends up, he gets permission to plant churches in Cuba. And I think that they actually planted the first one by now, which is, it's just amazing. I did the math. Uh, I am, when Fidel Castro was alive, uh, I am four steps away from Fidel Castro. Uh, I was four steps away from Osama bin Laden. I'm three steps away from George Bush. And I'm three steps away from Kevin Bacon. (laughs) That's how it works. It's amazing how small the world is. The world is tiny. I mean, anyone you want to know, you're not that far away because we are all connected somehow. Everyone in Santa Maria, in our valley, could hear the gospel, the good news of who Jesus Christ is from you, those in this room. Not because you are even the one that's telling them, because you are connected and you disseminate that information to your friends who are connected to others and it goes out to different clusters and tribes and communities and it touches everybody. And those relationships get used and the word of Jesus goes out. Marketing and advertising will not do it. Not radio or print or TV. We had some guy, I was asking Mikey uh, like a couple months ago, and they were like, hey, why aren't you guys, you guys should be on the radio. And I'm like, I don't want to reach those people. I want people to be reached by you guys talking to people around you. I don't just want you guys to invite people to come to church. I want you to be like, I'll pick you up on Sunday at 1045 because we're late anyway. You know, I'll, I'll come pick you up. I mean, you should swing by, pick them up in your car, throw them in the back seat, bring them down. Connections. It's not just, oh, this is when we start, I'll see you there. Invite them and tell them you'll pick them up. Bring them with you. Connections, networks, how it goes. I mean, the way things get done in our world, because information overload is going to be word of mouth, you investing in people. And I'm not talking just like evangelism or typical evangelism. I'm talking about networks. The old approach to uh, telling people about Jesus is like this three-pronged attack. It is like you take all the information, you present it, and then you call people to decision right now, in or out. This is, and if you say yes, you can come to church. I've always hated that. I've hated that because you only get in when you agree. It's, you know, what if they have questions? What if people are unsure? Where's the relationship? It's like if you're single and I show up to your house one day and I go, hey, I know you're single, but you need to get married. And so I got a girl out in the car. She's nice. She's beautiful. You'll like her. Let's do this right now. <laughs> and you're like, well, really, but I don't really know her. You know, I, I, can, I, can I get to know her? And I go, no, it, it's right now. In or out. She's got a little revolver. And if you say no, she's going to blow your head off and send you to hell. You want to marry her or not? And you're like, well, uh, you know, great sales pitch, but I don't want to be married to a well-armed sociopath because it just doesn't sound a whole lot of fun. Evangelism feels like that in our world today. It's like, knock, knock. You want to get married to Jesus? Well, I don't know. Well, you're going to go to hell. It's like, can we hang out a bit first? He doesn't have time for that. He just, why do people have a problem with the gospel? Because that's how they feel it's being done. That's how people present it. Some denominations send their guys out door to door. 
asking for a decision. I'm not saying God can't use that, but that only works in a place where people have heard the gospel and need to get with the program, not when people have no idea what the gospel even is. I, I was watching these interviews with Bill Maher, and he just came out with this movie called Religulous. And I'm not mispronouncing it. That's how it's pronounced, okay? And in this thing he goes through, and he just kind of slams Christians for what they believe, and everybody really for what they believe. But he's got this bizarre idea of the gospel because he's been presented this three-pronged approach. There's no relationship in it. And so he doesn't understand what the gospel really is. And so he goes in with this misconception, and he's asking people, these, and I'm just like, oh, man, if he could just get a relationship, he would understand what the gospel really is. I mean, how did Jesus start? Dinner, friendship. When did Simon Peter become a Christian? We don't know. He calls Jesus God in one chapter. The next chapter, he tries to tell God what to do. And a couple chapters later, he denies Jesus altogether. You know, Jesus spends time with these guys. He loves these guys. He models to these guys. And somewhere it clicks. And somewhere it clicks. I mean, I, I love Santa Maria. I love the valley in which we live. Statistically, though, less than 15% of people in our valley went to church this morning. We're get, and I don't say church is a building. I mean gathered together with believers to worship God together. You know, statistically speaking, in America, less than 5% of people under 35 years old go to church. You guys break the mold. You guys are awesome. The majority of people don't understand, though, the basic idea of what the gospel is because there's been no relationship. The colonial idea of pushing this is just foreign to me. It needs to be an invitation. You come and see. You hang out with my friends. You come to my small group, visit my church. I never know what Aaron's going to say. Yeah, just sometimes. Come over for dinner. You develop friendships. Take those clusters that you guys wrote down. I want you to look at those pieces of paper that you wrote down. Bring this all back together for you. You are, everybody in this room, you are, in a sense, you are all connectors because you know other people. You look at your list, you know those people. You are mavens because you know Jesus. You have information people need. And you are also an evangelist. You can tell the people in your clusters about Jesus. He is God, come to redeem us, save us, make our lives what they were always supposed to be. And in that process, you get to share what knowing Jesus has done in your life and what that brings. Jesus' story has found its way to us. That story makes a huge difference 2,000 years later. My invitation to you this morning is that if you don't know Jesus, you would come and see. You would come and see. If your life hasn't been transformed, you would come and see. Ask people what God has done in their life. If you are a believer, my invitation for you today is that maybe simply over dinner, maybe tonight, you would sit down and you would pray over this list that you have in front of you. And God reveal people to you that you need to connect with. Not go to work and stand on, a, on your desk and like repent sinners but you would go and you'd make connections and you would love people and they would connect with you and eventually they would connect with christ because of how you have connected with them you are jesus witnesses to this world so we witness by how we live and eventually we gain the right to be heard and speak on sunday mornings i usually leave you guys like all you know, like this and come and reflect on your life. This morning, I'm not going to do that because I want to leave you guys like, yeah, because you have a wonderful opportunity. You get to be connectors. You get to be mavens. You get to be evangelists in your own way that God has made you. He made you for a purpose.
And if you know him, you're finding that purpose, but the people around you need to know that purpose as well. And so you connect. You take those lists that you have, and you connect. And eventually you connect those people to Christ as well. The band's going to come and play. And as they do, we're going to take communion. We're going to break off a piece of the cracker. We're going to dip it in the wine or the grape juice. And with that, we're going to remember that Christ came to connect us to God as a missionary to you and I. We're going to worship God uh, through prayer. There'll be some elders in the back of the room. And if you're like, man, I want my life to be transformed. I need to connect it. Go, have them pray with you. If you don't know Jesus, ask them to share you their story. We're going to worship God through fellowship when we're done. Hopefully we'll hang out and you won't just run away. All right? and hang out and ask some people that know Jesus. What's your story? How'd you connect? What, what's the deal with that? We're going to worship God through some songs. Sean's going to lead a couple songs. If you're like one of those contemplative people who take a little, little bit of time you know, to take communion and stuff, take it early because he's going to ramp up the volume kind of fast here. Just warning you as we go. And we're going to worship God through giving. There's offering boxes on the side wall and in the back of the room. Guys, you have the greatest opportunity in the world through your connections that God has given you to be just like the first chapter of John and to connect to all these people and be excited and tell people, ah, I found it, I found it. Or actually, he found me. That's how it works. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we ask that we would learn more of who you are by the connections that we have in our lives. We ask that we would live in such a way that people see you, know you, understand you, because of our love for you and our love for them. We ask that our connections would be real. They wouldn't be forced just for the sake of connections. We would take these real friendships that we have and develop them deeper and our relationship with you deeper. Help us be excited about what you're doing in us and long to do in others. Amen.